0: Discover Seasons 1 and 2 now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's san slash peace slash VOSD.
1: Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by Managing Editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Scott, pal. What's up, man? Not much. Andrea Lopez Villafana is out today. You'll have to deal with us. We have other people coming in. And don't worry. Relax. There will be other voices. will be other voices. Uh, you and I were both quite excited to see baseball come back. And then, How long did that last? Did you, do you have like an hour count of
2: how long it was possible to just be excited about baseball in this in this city?
1: Yeah, so that was maybe 12 hours. <laughs> so two. they they announced the lockout was over and over. He's like, "Yay, they're posting photos of the Padres that we're going to come back. It's our time. We're going to get to work. When's the first signing going to come?" We, have, we
2: start to start to look for presents under the Christmas tree in the in the free an, free agency starting. Yeah.
1: And then Fernando Tatís Jr., the the uh, the light of all darkness, the the shining future of the San Diego Padres. And, and present. And present. Shows up at training camp and says, boy, my wrist has been hurting. And we discover that he needs surgery and it's going to be three months before he's back. And then darkness settles back in. Uh, but if the darkness has settled in, may I recommend 10U softball, girls softball? Yeah. Because... I don't know if I've ever had this feeling of euphoria in my life, Andy. <laughs> Yesterday, my daughter, she's been complaining about her knee. I don't know what's going on. It feels like it's some kind of like just weird knee problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So she wasn't going to necessarily play in the game. It was like maybe it's probably the responsible adult thing of me as manager of this Mighty Mustangs to not let her play.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But she's like, I really want to play. And so I was like, okay. You can. So I put her up to bat last. She gets up, hits an RBI in her first in her first at bat. Great. No big ground yeah. out, but an RBI okay. H- Yeah. Then the next one she gets up and Andy. Yeah. She sent it to the fence. <sighs> Home run. Raced around. All the girls go around and just pick her up and give her high five, slap her in the head. And I I I am still euphoric. I am still shaking from the 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 adrenaline and dopamine rushing through me right now.
2: Can I ask you a question? Yeah, I don't know if you know the
1: answer. What? Bat
2: flip? Oh, no, no bat flip. Just dropped it. No, just just acting like she's been there before. Yeah, no big deal. No bat flip. Many more to come. No, I which, no reason to celebrate too much.
1: No, she's not there yet. Okay, but no, when she I, hit that, I, like I was my no, first thought. No, was,
2: no swag is the new swag. Yeah. So there you go.
1: My first thought was that's a homer. Okay. But but will her knee hold up? And you could see she gets to first and she's like, I don't know. And then and then she looks at she has a little bit of game awareness now. And she's like, I can make this. Mm-hmm. And she turns on the jet, the jets for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she made it. it was it was the most fun I've ever had at any sporting experience of my life by far. I'm really happy for you. Thank, Thank you and for Ruby. Thank you. Coming up on the show, it is cost of living week. We planned this for months, but it could not have possibly been more timely. Our reporters spent the week digging into the biggest drivers of San Diego's high costs from housing, transportation, to water, to energy, and more. So we're going to break down some of that work and we'll bring in our water and energy expert reporter, Mackenzie Elmer, to explain why those particular bills got so high. Plus, we're going to introduce you to our newest addition to the team, Tiggis Lane. That's all coming up. Stay with us. All right. Before we get into some of these high costs, we did have a pretty good news item about the high cost. So there's been a big discussion about the gas tax and whether to suspend the gas tax or not. You've probably heard of this. So the County Board of Supervisors, you might have heard this week, they, they considered this. Republican Jim Desmond and Republican Joel Anderson wanted the county to take a stand to tell the state to suspend the 50 cents or so gas tax that the state puts on a gallon of gas in the state of California. And then the, the Democrats, Nathan Fletcher and them, wanted to support the governor's plan to just give people money, a rebate of sorts. And they ended up unanimously approving something. So when they announced it, the the Republicans said the county unanimously supported our plan to ask the governor to suspend the gas tax. And then the Democrats, Nathan Fletcher put out a statement and said the county unanimously supported my plan to support the governor's plan to rebate Californians and, and we're talking about the same vote here. The same the vote. The same government action. Yeah. So okay. when I saw them announce it, I was like, what's going on? Yeah. These are two different things. Yep. But you've both got what you wanted. We're both very happy here. Yeah. And it just turns out that's just – they're just going to put it all in that letter. <laughs> There's a letter that says, do something. Just we
2: support – we unanimously these... support the doing of something. Now,
1: one of them is diametrically opposed to the other, and yet they are all together – the thing is, though, like, look at issue polling.
2: That is actually what voters want. Everything. Yes. <laughs> do all of the things. It's the guns and, if and they, butter thing, if, right? Yeah. If
1: they are diametrically opposed, do them both. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Now, the Republicans statewide haven't been able to, like, do much. <laughs> for many years now, right? They've more or less given up trying, frankly. But they did something this week as far as a maneuver, I think, that really had at least San Diego Democrats kind of on their heels. So they wanted to get this thing going to suspend the gas tax, right? Mm -hmm. And they weren't willing to go in some sort of all- all, all of it's in the pie resolution. <laughs> well, they, they have the burden of, of not being able to do a symbolic vote on the matter. <laughs> yeah.
2: If they voted to do everything, you'd have to do everything. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so led by Assemblyman Kevin Kyle or Kylie, they came up with uh, an idea. They're going to try to um, force the, the legislature to vote on whether to suspend their particular rules that would allow them to vote to suspend the gas tax and that they would also use some of the money in the general fund. There's like a giant surplus to backfill what the gas tax would have paid for because by the way they they charge a gas tax and they've borrowed against that they have to pay off what they've borrowed against right mm-hmm. to build all these infrastructure projects correct so they managed to pull this off and force the assembly to vote and the assembly is like well this is a tough one because they don't want to repeal the gas tax but they also noticed that people are kind of mad how much the gas costs right now, right? Yeah. So Brian Mainstein in particular, he's running for re-election. He used to be a Republican. Now, of course, he's a Democrat. He's running against a Republican, and he was against the gas tax before. And so when it got the to increase him, before. Yeah, the gas tax increased before. When it got to him to vote, he voted against suspending the gas tax. Mm-hmm. But then the vote changed to an abstention. So he abstained. So he... Entered a vote. It
2: read on a screen that he opposed. Uh And then
1: before that went official, that change was made. Yes. And so his opponent, June Cutter, the Republican, jumped on it and said, ha, this is an abstention. It's de facto supporting the gas tax. And so we spent the day trying to get the San Diego Assembly Democrats to tell us what they thought about the gas tax. And this vote, and there was weird. Most of them were just like, "This was a stupid uh, maneuver against our process." You know, it's not. We all know people are having trouble with gas taxes, but this was. We're not going to support this. We'll support whatever the governor comes up with, and that's coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Akilah Weber, the Which assembly you woman, did. Yeah, uh, Akila Weber, the assemblywoman said, "I just hadn't had a chance to read this suspension of the gas tax proposal." And then we wanted Brian Mainshine. So did he abstain? What's his deal? We spent all day. Mm-hmm. By the way, this was uh, uh, Alicia Wadwa was helping me with this. She's uh, shadowing me this week. She, she hounded him all day. We didn't get anything. finally, right before we were going to post the story, Mainshine says, actually, I am against, I voted against the gas tax before. So obviously, I'm forced suspending spending it now. There we go. All right. Obviously, clear as clear as day. <laughs> so and so the
2: the the wrap up here is that the legislature is going to send everybody four hundred dollars. That He's was like the
1: a, plan they came up with, right? Yeah, that was that's the end. Mainshine
2: never did. Explain. You can if you want to use use that money as money that you've saved
1: at the pump, you can. Yeah, they call it a gas rebate, but they're pretty clearly going to give it to everybody they're, regardless of what they've paid for actual gas, right?
2: Specifically, that's like the, the the reason for doing it this way is that otherwise sort of bad incentive to give people money even like they're to say like, well, you can't afford a car. Therefore, you don't deserve to have this money back. <laughs> or you, <laughs> you've made sacrifices to cut out driving. Therefore, you don't deserve this money. That, that would be a perverse incentive.
1: And that isn't going to really fit very well for people who are ostensibly committed to avoiding and mitigating the long-term challenges of climate change, which are caused in large part, at least by cars burning gas. Yes. And so uh, this put him in a sticky situation. So we never did get clarity from Brian Mainshine about why he abstained, although in his statement to us, he did say he would prefer to see the gas tax suspended as part of the budgeting process. In the next few months okay Andy you had a great piece this week I want to talk about that this is about uh, transportation costs Mm -hmm. and they're kind of we always talk about housing costs rents home prices but transportation is kind of part of housing right yeah, the two are inextricably linked, I would say. What did you find as you kind of hunted down, like what transportation really costs people?
2: So there's a, a rule of thumb. You've probably heard it. You might have even used it in your own budgeting that um, housing is generally considered affordable as long as it represents about 30% of a typical household's income. Right. And that's what you can spend on housing and, and not uh, be distressed, Right. There's no benchmark like that for transportation, even though it is the second largest line item in the typical households budget in this country and and, and in California and in San Diego. So there's a a group called the Center for Neighborhood Technology that created a a sort of um, a system called the Housing and Transportation Index, where they try to look at different areas and they look at the typical housing costs in those areas, but then also the, the typical transportation costs in those areas. And transportation costs are not quite as easy to, to stipulate or to estimate as housing costs because every person is different. Even two neighbors are going to be different. And the cost of housing depends basically on, or excuse me, the cost of transportation depends on how much you drive, right. or how much you move around. Whereas the cost of housing once you've paid for it is static you can mm-hmm. you can be quite clear what what your cost is so they built a system that estimates how much transportation costs given everything about an area given how close some things are uh, whether uh, transit is viable whether walking is viable whether it's viable for a household to opt for one car instead of two whether it's possible for a car that a household that does have two cars to substitute a few trips here and there, you know maybe there's a grocery store near your house that uh, you go to when you need a gallon of milk. So it's not the case that you drive every time you go to the store. Uh, maybe your kids' schools are in walking distance, even if you, you know, rely on a car to commute. That some amount of your trips are being substituted out away from the car for other things. Mm-hmm. In places like that, transportation costs represent. Typically, a lower share of people's uh, household budget. San Diego is in an unfortunate group of a few uh, large cities in that it has very expensive housing and very expensive transportation. Both the housing costs as a share of a typical household budget in San Diego are in the top five most expensive in the country, as is the transportation costs in San Diego.
1: Yeah, so like San Francisco has obviously higher home prices or Till now, at least. Yeah, it still does. Yeah. yeah. And and yet you can get around more cheaply. Right.
2: And so there's, to some extent, at least, and, and San Francisco is an interesting example because transportation is still pretty expensive there. Right. But at, at least relative to San Diego, the money that you can potentially save on transportation does eat into the the how expensive your housing is. Right. Where in San Diego, it's just stacked on top of
1: each right. other. Right. Like D.C., New York, similar experiences. Boston, right? yeah. Uh, But L.A.'s like us, right? It takes a lot of money to get around. It takes a lot of money to buy a house or have a house. Yeah. Be somewhere.
2: And so so the Center for Neighborhood Technology, they sort of attempted to create their own rule of thumb, their own benchmark and said basically, you know, should be below 50 percent total. Between these two items, San Diego's comfortably above fifty percent. The combined
1: effect, Los Angeles is above fifty percent, um, but but some cities like Boston- just to be clear, you have to pay fifty percent or well above fifty percent of your income to be able to live under a roof and to be able to get around functionally as an adult. Yep, yep. And so I I looked
2: for this story because I was interested in in this stuff. Um, For some people who are dealing with the high housing costs and the high transportation costs in this region, and I was interested in a group of people that are the 50,000-some people by one San Diego Regional Chamber of Commerce estimate who work here in San Diego, but because of high housing costs or other reasons potentially, but for one reason or another, have left San Diego and live in Southwest Riverside County and commute down here. Uh, now, some of those people maybe aren't commuting at all anymore in the in a post-pandemic world. Um, but I talked to some people who were still commuting down here. And I think the picture that talking to them paints is that it's still even that combined effect that we just described of housing and transportation costs still underestimates the true cost of that of these sorts of decisions. So I talked to somebody um, named Doni Castillo and his family. Uh, He is a sanitation worker in Chula Vista. He works for Republic Services. And uh, every day he wakes up at 2 a.m., gets ready, leaves the house by 3 a.m., drives from Marietta down to Chula Vista, where he works all day as a sanitation worker, Uh, finishes his day as early as he can so that he can get back on the road. And and then it's a uh, uh, rush hour that he has to sit through, and he gets home at about 7 o'clock p.m. At 7 o'clock p.m., he has... An hour and a half, maybe two hours, to enjoy time with his four-month-old daughter before she needs to go back down to bed and before he needs to go to bed. Some of that time, she's asleep, so he literally gets to his his time that he gets to spend with his four-month-old daughter is watching her sleep, or you know, maybe he gets to to feed her if she wakes up for for a feeding during that time mm-hmm. period. And so, he uh, Riverside is is uh, I, I mentioned that San Diego is the is a place that has high, high housing costs and high transportation costs. And many people have, have looked to avoid the high cost of housing here in San Diego um, by vacating to the comparatively cheaper Riverside County. Riverside has the most expensive transportation costs in the United States of America of the 20 largest metro areas. Uh, so they are really trading housing costs for transportation costs. And then they end up paying this other price, which is the emotional cost, Of spending so much of your time in a car and that's a little bit harder to quantify it's a little bit harder to figure into a budget but i think doni castillo's story what i was so drawn to about it was how clearly that is the thing that is that weighs on him most not the amount of money he's putting into his car which is exorbitant but it's that he uh he he doesn't get to spend time with his with his daughter
1: i thought that was one of the most interesting parts about your story is just how it tries to conceptualize how one of the costs of living here yeah. Yeah. is the way the geography has been built out. Yeah, that yeah. just the shape and look and feel of our cities has created a cost. Yes, and that cost is that you must own, store, fuel, and insure your own personal vehicle in order to deal with life as an adult here. Right. And that that is very high and getting higher, especially as we just talked about with gas prices and other things. And, and it, it also has a a different uh, cost on the brain.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, the, Transportation is an odd, uh, and maybe we alluded to this or or glancingly got at this at the top of this discussion. But transportation is an interesting line item cost because um, I talked to Peter Haas, who's a guy who works at he's a chief technologist who works at the Center for Neighborhood Technology, helped put together this index, and he said that you know economists have a a, a term that or a, a saying that only what's transparent affects behavior, right? And in transportation. Lots of those costs are not readily readily visible. The one that is most readily visible is the cost of gas. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that people react to. And you don't need to be especially tuned into what your neighbors are talking about or to watch all that much news to see how much people are tuned into the price of gas right now. But 75% of the cost of car ownership is not gas. You, you know, that maybe that tips up a little, maybe that 25% tips up a little bit when gas shoots up as much as it has. Um, but there's actually a little calculator on the, uh, the, the uh, organization's website where you can put in the cost of gas and see how much uh, the cost of an, the annual cost of home ownership goes up based on $5 gallon of gas versus $2 gallon of gas. And what's really interesting about it is it doesn't change all that much. The, the cost of gas is such a... You're uh, talking about car ownership. Car ownership, yeah. yeah the the, to- the cost of car ownership is just not that driven by how much you pay every time you fill up your car, which doesn't feel that way. Because every time you fill up your car, you are staring at numbers that tick up as it's going in. And you are, of course, you know, consciously aware of how much you're spending. But you're n- less consciously aware of the fact that every month you're making a car payment and every month you're making a car payment for a depreciating asset such that 10 years later you've spent $40,000 on something that's now worth $10,000 to you you got to do it again and then you have to do it again and, and, right
1: and then and, insurance and then your wheels are uh, need to be replaced because of all this driving you're doing yes so and or you know parking, which is
2: an a, right. especially difficult thing to get a, a handle on. Because I'm not talking about, like, all the times you need to, to pay street parking. Like, a, a really, a, a really true cost of, the like, the high cost of parking would figure in that most housing in San Diego less so now, but most housing when it was built required some parking to be included in it. And you paid for that when you bought your house, whether you, and you pay for it when you rent your house, whether you're aware of it or not, that is baked in parking. Yeah. But that's baked into your, to your cost. So it's, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, but the, the, the easy way to think about it is that 75% of the cost of car ownership is not about how much you're paying in gas and people spend, much more than 75% of their time
1: talking about the 25% <laughs> cost of gas. Mm-hmm. So how do we address this? And I thought it was very interesting and good observations. But How do we address this without completely reshaping modern Western United States? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is like the,
2: the sort of land use changes that are required about this don't right play out in five or 10-year increments. They play out in like 50-year increments. Yeah. And um, that's an unsatisfying answer. Even that I th- I think people can kind of roll their eyes and be like, oh, I you know, it's just impossible for me to fathom a, a version of this city that looks different or that substantially changes that dynamic.
1: Maybe remote work is a big part. Maybe uh, that Yeah. Right. Or you know I thought one of the things that we did this week was uh surveyed four families. Four mm-hmm. different families, mm-hmm. four different parts of San Diego. And then Jesse Marks as well did a column about families in Oceanside, a particular neighborhood in Oceanside, mm-hmm. struggling to um, get their kids to school, how much it costs to get their kids to school. And it, fig- it it was kind of shocking to me, though, how aware they were, though, of how much transportation costs.
2: We, yeah. The lower you are on the income spectrum, the more aware you are of it, you're going to be of it. because. Your your budget needs to balance. You know, like if you're teetering
1: on the edge, you're much more aware of every little thing. If you have something that costs $15,000 a year Mm -hmm. and you make $35,000 a year, you're going to be more aware of it than if you make $180,000 a year. Yeah. Now I talked to like Peter Haas and
2: he he was talking about like the sort of super commuters, people who drive till they qualify as the realtors say, You, you buy some far out house because it's cheaper, you get more house. And then they'll often run a back of the envelope calculation on, well, how much more are we going to spend in gas every year? How much more are we going to spend driving every year? And they always say, oh, my goodness, you know, we did the math. It still turns Works out, out. it's still like it, it's like a, it's a calculation that they famously overlooks too many costs and they end up uh, not saving anywhere near as much as they thought they would.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. You should catch up with all of the cost of living coverage we did this week. And it's valuable. I'm very proud of the work. VOSD.org slash cost. That's VOSD.org slash cost. Obviously the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people about the cost of living in San Diego is the rent, the housing, those kinds of things. But I think people don't quite realize sometimes that we also have the highest um, electricity rates in some cases, the highest water rates, and that adds up for families that are trying to make ends meet. So we wanted to talk with our reporter, Mackenzie Elmer, who spent some time looking into those and explaining what's going on with some of those rates, what's behind the bills that you get. The pieces ran in our Cost of Living Week this week, and they were good. And so we have <laughs> Mackenzie here to tell us about it. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming in.
4: Yeah, thank you.
1: So tell us. So let's start with electricity. There has been a lot of talk over the last month or so about SDG&E bills right now and how high they got and they spiked. What was the deal?
4: Yeah, there's a two parts to that, actually. So electricity went up 11% come January 1 system-wide. So that includes industrial, commercial, residential, and then also natural gas prices spiked like 25%. Uh, And so that was, I mean, that was particularly unexpected, the natural gas prices, but the electricity rates actually had been already approved by the state months in advance as it usually goes. So people just don't generally pay attention to when electricity rates are going to go up. They don't really pay attention to the California Public Utilities Commission.
2: Not many people out there just dialing into the CPUC
1: <laughs> no, on rate, a regular rate setting approval. Like, right.
4: Oh. Yeah. It's not It's not like it's probably more boring than C-SPAN, I imagine. But.
1: Um. Well, so yeah, <laughs> let's talk about that system for a minute. Right now, sdg can't just unilaterally raise its rates. It has to get approval for that, correct?
4: Right. Yeah. So it files like a general rate case uh, once a year and it can also file like updates to that or it can file for more, like basically ask for more money from the CPUC for various projects or whatever it wants to do. And so it's kind of hard to keep track of a utility and how often they're filing at this commission, at the state commission that nobody's really paying attention to, except for like the various lawyers that already watch this process. Um, So it's often a surprise when there's a spike like this. And I think it was just a kind of a double whammy because natural gas was also so high everybody felt their whole bill increase and they were just like what what is happening like
1: it all hit at once yeah. basically mm-hmm. so there there's the okay let's break those two up so the electricity part was just 11 percent. that's there's nothing else that happened with that
0: right okay so yeah. then
2: whatever happened to get them in the position to request the CPUC clearance on that 11 percent
1: increase over the previous however long happened but there was nothing there was no acute cause of that Right. right. Uh, and then the natural gas, though, you said that was even less expected.
4: SDG&E said we had a really cold winter, an unexpectedly cold winter, which just means, you know, it's cold in my house, so people fire up their heater, which is generally powered by natural gas here in San Diego. Um, and so the more people need natural gas, you know, the more it's going to cost uh, them to <laughs> fire up their homes and warm it up. And that's kind of what they said.
2: But this is something that I think Warren's explanation is that it 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 isn't just now oh now you used more natural gas and therefore it cost more like beer like you decided to get more drunk and you bought more beers and therefore your bill at the end of the evening was larger because you had five instead of three that's not exactly what's happening here the increase in usage actually drives an increase in the cost per unit as well correct
4: Right. And also, I mean, globally, we've seen a spike in natural gas prices overall um, due to like geopolitical uh, conflicts, a.k.a. Ukraine versus Russia right now. And so that all has like a trickle down effect in terms of like overall natural gas prices. And so that that also affected the spike in the actual rate you pay for natural gas per unit. So, yes, like consumption or how much you actually use has gone up and then how much that costs. Per, per like molecule of natural gas also went up. Right. Yeah,
1: When people look at their bill and they're talking about how big the bill got, they're looking at the 11% electricity rate and then they're seeing this natural gas. What kinds of bills were we seeing? It seems like there were a lot of people highlighting like some pretty significant bills that were causing some problems.
4: Yeah, particularly like on Reddit, I saw people posting images of their projected bill because you can't go onto your bill and it shows actually a lot of really interesting information if you're a total energy nerd like... Me, kind of. Um, and it will tell you like how much you're using currently and like what that would probably look like in your projected next month's bill um, to whatever that you know rate might be. And so people were seeing like, you know, oh, I used to use, I mean, I think I was looking at, must have been a single family home because I definitely don't have this high of a gas er, gas and energy bill, but it's like 700 bucks one month. And then it was going to be like, Twelve hundred bucks the next month, and people were really starting to freak out. Freak out, and they thought, "Is this like an error on the utilities end? What's going on?" And uh, it wasn't. So no.
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, and th- I mean, those sorts of that like online monitoring system, I think, is probably intended to be a, a little soft incentive to decrease usage on the on the part of the of SDG&E or uh, the utility. Yeah. That if you become aware of it, you go, "Oh, okay, I'll be a little bit more diligent about flipping off the lights or yeah.
4: whatever." Yeah, and that's what was kind of what I wanted to do with this story about breaking down every single charge on your bill was to kind of, there are actually a lot of ways you can track how much energy you're using, how much it costs, and how it might change. So, because they, they have to, these utilities, a lot with the um, pushing of the state to put in a lot of things that make you want to reduce your energy. Like, for instance, I explain, um, there's a time of use, you, you pay different rates of electricity or the cost of electricity changes depending on when you use it during the day. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you, the the most expensive energy is from four to 9 PM because that's when everyone's home. Everyone's like putting their kids to bed. Everyone's making dinner, high demand of energy, the energy costs more and the cheapest times are in the middle of the day or overnight. And so that's when they want to encourage people with lower prices to do things like, I don't know, charge your car or, whatever people have to do overnight like run your dishwasher run your dishwasher yeah, after that, kind that of thing. Time. right mm-hmm. like behavior change so right. if
2: anybody's got a flexible lifestyle out there just don't eat dinner from 4 to 9 <laughs> start cooking at midnight yeah to put on the music start you know <laughs> dancing with your 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 spouse or whatever while you while you eat exactly. from midnight until 4 a.m. right that'll be very cheap you'll save some money
1: what else did you find about the bills you you said you went through each each bill and like lines on there there's like the undergrounding fee we all pay for this hundred-year program to under or two hundred-year program, whatever it is, to underground all of our, that, our our power. That fee, lines. That fee's is never rolling yeah. off. To yeah, be it's clear, like, it's like <laughs> we'll all be t-
4: underground when <laughs> yeah. the undergrounding hey is yo. done. <laughs> there we go. All right. LOL. Uh,
1: but so, what else is on there that you found interesting?
4: Uh, I've I like nuclear power topics, and I just thought it was interesting that we are, you know, we're all paying. Uh, very, very slowly for the decommissioning of the San Onofre nuclear power plant. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, if you've guys seen the atomic tatas along highway up to LA, uh, we're slowly, slowly taking that apart. It hasn't produced power since 2012, but we are slowly, slowly paying off the like $5 billion price tag it will take to actually decommission that plant. Um, We're also charged and assessed um, a wildfire fund charge, which is actually a new thing. It's, And what it is, is we're all paying um, for basically uh, to bail out utilities if there's a wildfire. It's like an insurance pot um, that they uh, have access to should a wildfire happen. It's like $20 billion of funding eventually that um, uh, we're all sort of Californians are putting money into. And um, the other wildfire charges, which I found was interesting, um, they're each of the utilities in California have a wildfire mitigation plan. And it's basically like all the projects, all the things they're going to do to protect us from wildfire. And sdg has spent $3 billion over the last 10 years on that. And they expect to spend another $770 million more. But when I asked, you know, okay, so how do I, where do I see that on my bill? Like, how do I know what I've been paying for, for wildfire? Well, they're like, well, it's actually, you can't really take that a- apart. It's sort of melded into, um, the energy service charge, which I explained in the story. And what that is, is basically paying for all of the infrastructure, like the big poles and wires and uh, transmission lines that you see. Oh, I've just always been interested in tracking, like, how, do we, how are we paying for the wildfire prevention? And in, um, just in looking at this, you know, bill that we get every month, it's actually kind of hard to figure that out.
1: Yeah. So. so on the first part, the wildfire part was about They've gotten sued so many times for these wildfires that were started often by power lines and stuff like that. Wind, and so this is now okay. If you're gonna if you're gonna make us pay billions of dollars every time that happens, we're gonna set aside a fund, and you're gonna pay for it so that uh, that doesn't happen in the future. And then the other one you're talking about is the actual prevention, so they can. They can make the poles stronger. They can clear brush better. They can underground some things, right?
4: Right. And that was actually like a deal that was made and the law that created the wildfire mitigation plans. They're like, we're going to, like the state's like, we're going to make you plan and prevent wildfire by building a bunch of stuff. And then the utilities were like, fine, well, you have to set up an insurance fund for us in case one starts so we're not just left. There's a funny
2: big picture story that you're drawing here where that's like how efficiently and comprehensively Utilities manage to charge for everything like you you, you're going through. It's like, well, sometimes there's wildfires fires. And if you pay attention to the news, you see that those wildfires sometimes result in very large settlements, very, you know, very large lawsuits. There's San Onofre nuclear decommissioning that's been in the news for 10 years now. Uh, Every one of those things becomes money out of people's pockets into the utility to go out to whoever else or whatever other thing, undergrounding, everything, everything. Compare that to like local government that has like an entire system stacked against its ability to ever create new revenue sources to pay for all of the things that it does that just creates unfunded liabilities. Like between what's like state government laws that state governments pass that create new responsibilities for cities to provide that don't come with funding attached to them or services that cities ramp up without increasing taxes to a, a level to cover it that just creates like perpetual deficits or, you, you know, or, or, right. uh, like reliance on, on bond, you know, yeah. on bonding for everything that it's like. It, but the utilities face no such problems every everything just gets bundled into a new line item that on the bill that you pay every right. month.
4: right you don't need a two-thirds vote to get a new like new line item for a new fee rate. or a new charge
1: right, right. Well, that's a yeah. good segue to the, uh, the yeah. other side of this discussion which was about water where it's a similar dynamic they don't have to have votes for water rate increases and stuff like that but they yeah. have had a lot of water rate increases recently so there's uh, we get our water, of course, uh, mostly from Northern California and from the Colorado River and the systems that bring that to us. It's pretty expensive, but now we're building a lot of local infrastructure, or have built a lot of local infrastructure that makes that water very expensive to get. So, bottom line is, we pay a ton for water, and I think there's they're pretty they're not shy about it. When you talk to the water authorities in San Diego, they they admit that it's a high cost, but they're saying you're paying for something, you know, intangible, which is assurance that this important resource is here
4: right and I think that's what the celebration we saw from the San Diego County Water Authority last year when you know the 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 drought the severity of the drought really hit everybody in California except San Diego you know San Diego is just like straight chilling with all of its water resources that we've um paid for over time we've like stocked up all on all the supply and secured contracts to make sure that we have water through a drought um and lo and behold we did and we were we were sitting we were sitting fine where the rest of the state was struggling so yeah that's definitely uh, proven to be true and um, i would i just did want to say like the water authority also does vote on rate increases for water cuz i thought you said that
2: the, well it's not a public the, vote though it's not a like vote the, of the people yeah oh yes <laughs> whereas where, but at, like the city council level like right city council can can want all kinds of things, but they can't pass uh,
1: you know right fair and enough. I think the, the argument fees. makes yeah. sense in the sense that you need water and you shouldn't have it up to the whims of the populace necessarily, yeah. but that means that the rates can go up rather quickly and a lot and and well, the theory- there's a there's a logic to it, there's certainly sure. a logic to it the The issue is that like a
2: a typical household who's who's not paying especially close attention to public policy doesn't necessarily care by which mechanism the money leaves their wallet and goes to somebody else. It's like whether it's it's through a, a water increase or a, a,
1: a tax bill, it's like not theirs anymore in either case.
4: It's the government. <laughs>
1: so one of the biggest chunks of this was the desalination plant, right? We built a big desalination plant in Carlsbad to take water from the sea and make it something we can drink. That water um, is very expensive compared to what we import. But the argument is that over the next few decades, the water we import is going to cost more eventually. And so it's worth this investment now. But it, we're still not there, right?
4: No. Um, and there's debate in the Water Authority right now among its 24 different like member cities and agencies um, representing the whole county about, like, will imported water be more expensive um or will we even need imported water imported water meaning like from the colorado river um sent here via los angeles or imperial valley which is a whole nother conversation but um especially because we are um, diversifying even more locally like you said we're building like pure water which is um city of san diego is building like a wastewater to drinking water plant which is supposed to provide like up to 50 percent of city of san diego's water and that means that the city of san diego because we'll be basically like drinking our own waste purified right uh won't need to buy colorado river water as much and so the question of like you know who what whose water source will cost more in 50 years it's kind of like who knows because (laughs) more and more local cities are deciding to do this kind of like water recycling thing. Mm -hmm. And so one of the concerns that I wrote about before is, you know, as more and more cities start to do the wastewater recycling, like we're going to be paying the citizens. We for both the purification plants, which cost a lot of money. And then we'll also be paying for the increasing costs of getting the Colorado river here. So, I'm not really sure where that truly will diverge. But,
1: and all of that requires, you know, the borrowing of money for all that infrastructure, that's going to be built and paying off those bills are static bills. Those aren't, those bills aren't, they don't go down based on how much water people use. And so that cost is something people water rate payers have to pay regardless of of the use of the water.
4: And that's something interesting that Sandy Curl, the general manager of the Water Authority, uh, I was talking to her about this issue, and and they're kind of, I don't know, it seems like kind of a new sort of um, stance for the Water Authority. They're really looking for state and federal support to try to um, prop up the increasing rates on water users to pay for some of this infrastructure stuff. Like, the, the the pipelines that we built to get the Colorado River water here are like really old. They're basically the same ones that were laid there since the 40s or something. And so, you know, her argument is like, well, the Fed used to basically paid 70 to 80 percent of that in the beginning and they haven't helped pay for any of that since. And so now with like Biden's big infrastructure bill and his whole like climate position and they see the federal government as like a new source of funding again. And they're hoping to kind of throw a line out there and reel some of that money in for San Diego.
1: Well, we'll see if that happens. Mackenzie Elmer, thanks for explaining that.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me guys.
1: And I'm joined in the great voice San Diego podcast studio, by the newest member of the Voice of San Diego Public Service Journalism staff, Tiggis Lane. Tiggis, how are you?
3: I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank you so much. Uh, very excited to have you here. You are going to tackle covering North County. That's all just a vast region with a lot of diversity and tons of different cities. No problem there, right? Be easy.
3: Oh, yeah. Piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, Tiggis. So tell us how your career has gone so far, how you ended up here.
3: Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, So before this, I was at the Coast News. It's a local paper up in North County. Um, So I was there for a couple of years covering um, different communities in North County. So I think that's where I kind of got interested in the area. I mean, it's a big region, a lot going on, very diverse people, diverse cultures, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to kind of keep it going over here at Voice.
1: Yeah. Well, tell us about um, uh, who you are, what you care about, what you're looking for.
3: I grew up in Colorado. I have been in San Diego for more than six years now. Um, I love San Diego. Um, I came out here for college. I went to Point Loma Nazarene University. And I studied journalism because, I mean, I love to write, first of all, and I love to tell stories and I wanna be able to kind of be a voice for people in communities who maybe are underrepresented or misrepresented. Um, and I feel like North County is kind of an area where it needs more coverage. So I'm excited to hopefully bring that to the area.
1: Yeah, we've had a lot of people come through through uh, Point Loma Nazarene. We had uh, Kelly Bennett when we first started Voice San Diego. Yeah. She. She's in Canada now, rocking it there with uh, a lot of great journalism. Uh, Ashley McGlone went through there. She was awesome. Let's have a, a great program, it seems like.
3: Oh, yeah. It's amazing. I I loved it. It was a great four years. Um, my professor and advisor was Dean Nelson, mm-hmm. who is a great journalist, and I learned a lot from him. So, yeah, it's a great program.
1: All right. So how can people get a hold of you, and what are you looking for in stories right now?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um. I'm looking to write about issues like homelessness, housing. Um, I want to focus on the diverse cultures that are in North County, like the huge Latinx population, Um, kind of look at just the stories of the working class. And so, yeah, I'm excited to get started. You can reach me at my Voice of San Diego email, which is tigist.lane at voiceofsandiego.org. That's T-I-G-I-S-T dot L-A-Y-N-E at voiceofsandiego.org.
1: And Tiggis Lane is by far the best journalist name (laughs) I have come across ever. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for coming on.
3: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: You can keep up with Tiggis and all her stories and her newsletter, The North County Report, at vosd.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego. Keep up with all of our stories and insights. The Morning Report, our most popular newsletter. You can subscribe at VOSD.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats and Andrea Lopez Villafana are our managing editors. Adam Greenfield is our expert technician. And Nate John is our producer and very helpful editor when we do a lot of stupid flubs on the show. Thank you so much for doing that, Nate. This is a message directly to you. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.